Welcome to Grass Talk Radio. This show is for people who play bluegrass music and anybody who might want to. The prison guard shut the iron door behind me. Howdy, y'all, and welcome back to Grass Talk Radio. Uh, this morning, I am out here once again in the tack room. It's about 6.30 in the morning. I've been up since about 5. i got big plans for today, so I've got a lot of things I'm trying to get done. And on Tuesday, today is Tuesday. On Tuesday, item one is to cart the trash out. And I've got to gather up all the trash cans, you know, put them in a trailer, shove them in the back of the car or something, and get them down to the road because if you miss them, you've missed them for a whole week. <laughs> so as soon as I finish recording this, that's what I'll be doing. And if you were here, you could help me haul the cans down. And I'm I spent the entire day yesterday really just sweeping up and cleaning and straightening up and putting tools away and getting the barn looking good. Uh, you know, just getting out the leaf blower and all this kind of stuff. Because let me describe the barn. I call it the barn. Some horse people would call it a stable. It has four, no, I'm sorry, it has five horse stalls. It's got kind of a long, open, uh, I don't know what you'd call it, a breezeway through the center, and three on three stalls on one side, I think they're 12 by 12, and two on the other side, and then one of the spaces on the other side is enclosed as a room where you can store your gear and you know, hang up your saddles and bridles. And of course, I've turned it into the recording studio for this podcast and the collection zone for pretty much everything I own that I don't want dirt daubers and wasps to uh, mess with. Because, like, I can, t I can take my little uh, air compressor, just the little small one, and set it out you know, somewhere out there in the, there's a covered area over the end of it, which is the stage when we have our little bluegrass pickings and mini bluegrass festival out here. There's about a 12 foot overhang on one end and it's concrete floor and everything. I got lights up and it's a great place. And then out beyond that is the barnyard, or what I call the barnyard. And that's where the folks sit you know when we have our show and uh you know i've kind of decorated it up i've got uh, some old art pieces from the harvest festival from like back in the year 2000 in fairburn georgia i've got some stage decorations that anyway i built a backdrop out there i've got a big uh plywood um moon it's a, it's like a big giant circle of plywood four foot in diameter because that's as big as plywood comes. And so I got this four foot circle and I sort of airbrushed and painted like, you, you know, the classic pictures of the moon where it's the man in the moon. I, I kind of did this with just spray paint cans, you know, and that's hanging up there. My, uh, the gigantic sailfish <laughs> taxidermy mount is hanging up there dartboard i mean little picture of elvis all kind of weird stuff is out there and that that constitutes the stage backdrop and i've recently added a new thing to that uh stage area you know i'm thinking ahead to when we're going to have another festival out here um and that is my grandfather's old Crosley Radio. My brother had it for many years and he moved into a motorhome and is, you know, traveling the countryside. It's actually a giant uh, travel trailer with a pop out and all that kind of stuff. My brother's smart. He doesn't mow grass. He, you know, he just moves from place to place, him and his wife, and he runs his IT business out of his office right out of that thing. And uh, he, he's a pretty amazing dude, too. And I, I talked about him somewhat in the uh, In and Out episode. And, you know, he's a musician, too. 
Uh, but he's smart. He doesn't have to cut grass, you know, every other day like I do. And uh, kind of jealous of, you know, the lifestyle uh, choices he has made. But then again, there are good things about this, too. I, I forgot where I was going with him, but oh yeah, the radio, my grandfather's Crosley radio. I looked it up and it, Greg didn't have space for it. He was hauling around in that travel trailer, uh, you know, it's gigantic RV thing uh, and just really didn't have the space. So I, I got it and it's, you know, it's like a piece of furniture. It's about four foot high and about two and a half foot wide and about, I don't know, 18 inches deep. It's a proper piece of furniture. I got some beautiful woodworking on this thing. And I always remember as a child, uh, you know, being at my grandfather's house, Grandpa Schultz, just like Sergeant Schultz from, what was that show? Uh, my mother's side of the family is German, so that's the Schultz line. And my grandpa, Fred Schultz, what I got when he died, like, you know, they're kind of like doling out his little personal items and effects and things as, you know, a way to remember grandpa and that kind of thing. I got a wallet. I got his wallet and it's got his, uh, he worked, you know, as a youth, he did all sorts of things. He was on threshing teams out in the Midwest and uh, threshing wheat and, and all kind of, you know, manual labor, uh, farm labor, and that kind of thing. But after World War II, he went to work for the Indiana Department of Roads or the Highway Department or something, you know, driving dump trucks around and gravel, spreading gravel on dirt roads and running motor graders. And, you know, he's like a road guy. And that was all during the 19, late 1940s. And through the 50s and up into probably about 1960 is probably about when he retired from the Indiana Highway Department. And he had a collection of stuff in his garage that he found alongside the highway. You know, he lives up there in northwest uh, Indiana. And, you know, you'd find a screwdriver or you'd find a monkey wrench or, you know, a sledgehammer or stuff that had fallen off of people's trucks. And they're, they're out there doing their road work and would find these, you know, oh, this is a perfectly good hammer, you know, take it home, you know, put it in your lunchbox and take it home. And so his garage, just a little garage that held his, uh, his ancient Studebaker, and uh, it was just full of this stuff. So anyway, when Grandpa died, this is back in the 70s, you know, we, of course, we went up there from Georgia up there. And, uh, you know, it was like Grandma took us all around. And, well, if there's anything you would like of Grandpa's, you know, here. And, you know, anyway, I was handed his wallet. And in his wallet, I've got his 1946 1947 and 1948 perfect driving record issued by the state you know, highway department of Indiana, these little cards that he was very proud of. And he had them, you know, in that little, you remember how wallets used to have that long folded out thing with, you could put pictures and cards and this and that. And he had his social security card. He had like an insurance card he had a picture of my cousin. He didn't have a picture of me, but he had a picture of my cousin in there and all this stuff and these award, these little certificates, the cards of perfect driving record, perfect safety record. Anyway, that was my grandpa Schultz. His radio, which he bought in 19, oh, I don't know if he bought it or was given to him. I don't know how he acquired it, but it was a 1947 Crosley radio, AM radio, got AM. I don't think it has FM. It's got short wave because, you know, like during World War II, people tune into short wave. And, you know, people, you, you people probably don't even know what that is unless you're like over 60. I mean, I don't even know if anybody even listens to the radio anymore. I, I'm really into radio, but I, what I remember as a child, and I have some photographs of me sitting at my grandpa's knee and the picture of him, he looked, 
he would sit exactly the way Lincoln sits at the Lincoln Memorial. He would sit in his chair with his one arm on each arm of his chair. And he would sit there, have these slippers on. And as soon as he got home from work, the boots came off and he wore these slippers in the house. It was what my grandma called his house shoes. He wore house shoes. So he's sitting there and on, you know, not like Lincoln, but on the right side was a can of beer. And on the left side was a peach can, an empty peach can, because that was his spittoon. So he had his spittoon, he had his beer can, and he had his, his radio. And the radio also has a pull-out drawer, and inside it is a turntable. So he, I've, got, I've got this thing. Unfortunately, it does not work, because anybody familiar with old radio stuff knows that, you know, after 60 years, the uh, capacitors start leaking, and you got to... You got to run through it and change the, the capacitors and stuff. Go listen to the Truth About Vintage Amps podcast and you will, you will get that. Uh, you just can't keep those electrolytics forever. Uh, but, you know, the tubes light up. I have fired it up and, you know, they're glowing. I would love to have that thing working again. But anyway, right now it's sitting in my barn because my brother brought it down last time he was passing through. And I've got that old Crosley radio and turntable sitting out there. And it's just, I throw a canvas over it to keep the wasps and the spiders out of it. But anyway, that is quite a piece of history. And today, you know, I don't even know if, can you even buy a radio? I suppose you can. But, uh. So that's Grandpa Schultz. All right, first thing I want to do today is I want to do a shout out to a website. Uh, you know me, I always like to promote other people's stuff. <laughs> so anyway, I was you know cruising around the web and I discovered a website, and uh, it's called. Let me let me look it up here. All right. It's called blog.feedspot.com. Blog.feedspot.com. And if you go there, this is a very ingenious thing. I, I'm, I like people that, you know, take some initiative and try to do something. Well, this guy and whoever, you know, his, his people have put together a, you know, kind of a, a directory of podcasts, you might say. And so this particular page, and I want to point this out, and I will put a link to it in the show notes page today. It says, top 15 bluegrass music podcast you must follow in 2020. I know it's a little clickbaity, but hey, you know, guys got to eat, you know, I, I get that. But it it's, it's really great. Um, you know, I've done these, these shows where I do you know, podcast shout outs. And I talk about everybody else's podcasts and stuff like that. Well, you know, this is a website that does the same thing. So go to blog.feedspot.com and just, you know, search for bluegrass. Um, and again, as I said, I will put a link directly to the bluegrass podcast page. What they're doing is um, rating, ranking, and describing um, various podcasts by subject. And I tell you, I am very disappointed in the way that iTunes does it. iTunes kind of like shoves certain shows down your throat. You know, there's a bit of an agenda going on over at iTunes. So, you know, you get all this murder and mayhem and crimes, crime mysteries and all this stuff. And, you know, it's not very organic. This is cool, and it's particularly cool because when I saw it, I noticed that the number one show under Bluegrass at blog.feedspot.com is Grass Talk Radio, number one. 
That's pretty cool. I mean, you know, they probably just, that was the first one they found or something, you know, I don't know, but Hey, you take what you can get. I, I consider that an honor to be, you know, the number one podcast on blog.feedspot.com. Thank you, Anuj, wherever you are. Um, anyway, the, um, the creator of this, this website, oh, by the way, uh, number two is Back Porch Bluegrass. I love that show. I listen to it all the time. Every episode I listen from start to finish, Paul Trenwith down there in, you know, he played with the Hamilton County Bluegrass down in New Zealand. And it's amazing, you know, kind of almost disturbing that my favorite bluegrass show comes from New Zealand. Come on, come on. You're sitting around in Asheville wearing your mask and, you know, doing nothing. Start a bluegrass podcast. Why, why do I have to get my favorite bluegrass show from Hamilton, New Zealand? Come on, boys, girls, get off your butt and make your own podcast. Okay, number three, Walls of Time. That was a good one. And I, by the way, I'm in the tack room and the door is open. The rooster is crowing and something big just fell on the roof. I got a tin roof on this thing. Josh Cole, Bluegrass Show. Now, Josh hadn't put out many episodes recently, but hey, you know, I, I get that. Whole list of Bluegrass podcasts that maybe you're not familiar with. There's several on here that I don't know. Here's another one. Best of Bluegrass with Trevor Ruffle, another New Zealander. Uh, we've got Toy Heart, Main Street Bluegrass. There's it, Go go check it out. You can go to blog.feedspot.com and just do a little search for Bluegrass and you will find it. Or go to the show notes page, grasstalkradio.com. Go down to this episode, that, that long list, and... I'll put a link on the show notes page. All right. Next item of business. I'm having a picking tonight. Do you, can you see, a, do you hear a difference in my voice and my attitude right now? I've been really bummed out. Oh man. Just I'm, I'm bummed out. Cause I've said it so many times. You can't do bluegrass sitting on your couch. And I've sat on my couch a lot. I've also been doing a lot of mowing and, you know, other things and gardening. Uh, let's not get into the gardening. Although I want to say yesterday or it was the day before, you can check my wife's Facebook. She's really into that. And she's got pictures and videos. We busted open the first watermelon of the year. One of them Georgia rattlesnakes. And my God, that thing was good. It literally, I chopped that thing. Well, Jackson chopped it in half with a machete first. Then I started breaking it up into proper sized eating parcels and uh, held up a chunk of that thing. And literally the water was running out of it in streams, not drips. I'm talking about streams. And it was warm. I just brought it in from the garden. I'm like, look at this, honey. This thing was humongous, probably 40 pounds. Jackson couldn't hardly hold it, but I made him hold it for the picture anyway. We busted into that thing. Oh, man, was that good. Of course, you know, it's especially good because I grew it. Me and Jackson grew it. Um, anyway, we ate the first one, and we knew we couldn't eat the whole thing, and the refrigerator is packed with cantaloupes and pickles, and I got I need, like, an extra refrigerator. Uh, so if you want to send me your extra fridge, I could appreciate that right now. Uh, anyway, I knew we couldn't take the sec the other half of this thing, this gigantic watermelon. So we called the neighbor down the road. Hey, y'all want a half a watermelon? Yeah, yeah, we'll be right up. So the neighbors came up and we talked to uh, them sitting in the lawn chairs for a while and ate watermelon and they took the other half home. Uh, anyway, tonight, Tonight, I'm having a little picking, and I just threw it out to the local dudes. Hey, guys, are you about to pick in your britches like I am? If so, I'm going to have a little picking at the barn tonight. Come if you want to. You know, if, if you're afraid, like if you're sick or you're afraid you might get sick or 
You're just basically fearful or whatever. Don't come. That's cool. Don't come. I'm not forcing anybody to do anything. But if you want to pick and you're feeling pretty good and you're thinking kind of like I'm thinking, I'm just going to have a little picking. There'll be one person definitely there. That's me. And I'm going to have my bass and my dobro and my mandolin and my guitar and my banjo all piled up there so that I can play whatever is needed for whatever should ha happen. So I threw it out to the, like, 12 bluegrass pickers. That's all there are in this whole county. And uh, I got one immediate, oh, heck yeah, I'll be there. And then I got a lot of, well, I might, I might. I'll have to run that by my wife and see if we're not busy. And, you know, just all the excuses. And that gummit. Sorry, I'm sitting in a tray of nuts and bolts, which is on that pair of 15s I told you about. I, I was so bored. I was so bored. I took this giant coffee can, a big old giant coffee can. It was full of weird nuts and bolts and screws. And I poured them out. And I sat there and I sorted them. Screws, nails, wood screws, machine screws, matching up nuts and bolts. And I got all that spread out on this old tray. It's like a school lunch tray from 1940. <laughs> Back when they used to be metal. Uh, and uh, it's sitting here. And I'm. that's what you hear. My collection of nuts and bolts. Anyway, back to the picking. So I, I let that ride for about my invitation for maybe, I don't know, five days. I got a call back from a few of them and texts and so on. Uh, you know, a lot of maybes, you know, oh, well, let's say four or five maybes and one definite and one definitely no and that kind of thing. I'm busy, you know. Uh, you know, so I don't care if it's just me and one other person, or three or four. I think right now I'm thinking there might be about three, four. Guitar, mandolin, banjo, bass. I don't know if I'll play bass or a play. I don't know. I may play dobro. But anyway, we're going to have a little picking, and I've been clean, and I'm just in a so much better mood. So next week I'll give you a little report on how my little picking session went. All right, next thing. Let's read an email from a listener. Or I'll read it and you listen. This is from Mark Tatum. And this I got in February. February 29th, because it is a leap year, you know. I always wished, when I was a kid, I always wished I was born on February 29th. That would be cool, because everybody else would be 40 and you'd only be, what, like 10? <laughs> Kind of weird like that. All right, so here we go. Mark Tatum's uh, favorite email. And if you don't know about that, the uh, let's all get to know each other system, go back and listen to bonus episode nine or whatever it is. Do me a favor. Hi, Brad. Here's that favor. I just got the Flint Hill Scrolls download. That's my, it's like book two for banjo. You know, book one is the banjo instruction course. Just teach you how to read tab, how to make a few chords, how to pick, you know, like a dozen tunes or ten or whatever. You know, get you started. Anyway, he says, I'm five or six pages in, and so far, I'm ahead of the material. That's good. I, you know, how many books have I bought that were ahead of me? You know, you buy a book and like, oh my God, I have no idea what this dude is talking about here, you know. Your minor ninths and your suspended fourths and what what the you know you've been there you've bought books and you're like kind of like flipping through the pages you, you know the first couple pages are pretty easy and then you get to the back and you're like what you've been there you got them books they're just piled up in the corner and then you go on mailing cafe and you sell them you know as like five books for sale for ten dollars or whatever anyway sometimes the opposite happens sometimes you get a book and you're like super way ahead of it. You're like, oh, I know all this stuff. So this is Mark Tatum. He's ahead of this, but I still appreciate you buying the book, Mark. I'm sure there were some things in that book that 
you know, maybe we're reinforced by hearing it again in a different, from a different perspective, in a different voice, my voice. Anyway, I'm five or six pages in, and so far I'm ahead of the material, but hey, I've got plenty of value from your podcast, so I'm happy to support you. I'm a 49-year-old banjo player, a little dobro too, from Clinton, North Carolina. I'm in a band called King Mill Road from Four Oaks, North Carolina, and love to play with several great players from Johnston County, North Carolina. And my, I told you about my printer cartridge smears, so I can't see that word. I regularly vacation near Stewart, Virginia and jam with folks there. Now, let me just stop right there. You hear those places he's talking about? Clinton, North Carolina. Four Oaks, North Carolina. Johnston County, North Carolina. Stewart, Virginia. It's no wonder he's ahead of the book. I mean, he is in the heart of bluegrass country. So that's totally cool. I'm, you know, if he was like in, <laughs> oh, I don't know, Saskatoon or, you know, I don't know, some oddball place where they don't have a lot of bluegrass, probably the book would be way ahead of him, you know? But anyway, he says he takes in as many festivals. I'm Let me go back and say that again. I take in as many festivals as I can and love to connect with people in the bluegrass culture. I know Mark is feeling the same pain I'm feeling. We've had this giant, like, oh, thing thrown over us, like a giant net. And everybody's like, I can't get out of the net. Well, the net, well, folks, just... Lift up the edge and crawl out. The sun is still shining. Everything's still good. You know, it is. All right, back to his email. Because I don't want to put my thoughts off as if they're Mark's. But I'll bet you anything Mark is itching to pick just like I am. And I am going to pick tonight. Our little band is scheduled to play the merry-go-round on WPAQ Mount Airy in the fall. You can't get more bluegrassy than that, Mount Airy. That's basically Mayberry. We do quite a bit of bluegrass gospel, still learning, still having fun. It's been a blessing. Keep it up. God bless Mark Tatum. And God bless you, Mark Tatum. But see, he wrote this in February the 29th. And it come along about March, and the big dark cloud came over everybody. Ooh, everybody be very afraid. Ooh, don't shake hands. Rub your stupid elbows. To, you know, come on, folks. All right, enough of that. I don't want to get banned. I don't want to get canceled. So here's my little topic today. It's going to be short and sweet. I've been talking for a long time about doing tab versus standard notation. What are the advantages of tablature? What are the advantages of standard notation? What are the disadvantages of each? And as I was jotting down a few notes, I realized that those are not the only two ways to learn to play music. So let's talk about some of the ways that you can learn to play. Okay, person A, don't know how to play nothing. Can't make a chord, they've never picked a string, never nothing. That's who we're going to start with. And how can that person move from that state of a non-picker to a picker? From a non-player to a player? From a non-musician to a musician? How do you make that transition? And there are multiple ways. One of them is tablature, learning to read tablature, decode tablature, which is just a diagram of where to put your fingers and which string to pick when. That's it. Tab is not all that difficult. And it has a, a long history going back to the late Middle Ages uh, for loot. Tab is not some, like, ridiculous hillbilly music notation or something. It's not. It has a long history of effective use in transmitting how to play the instrument. 
you know, I suspect somebody could invent tablature for classical piano. They probably have. Tab is simply a diagram that tells you, okay, third string, second fret, plunk it with the right thumb. And similar things. Tablature is very common for mandolin, for banjo, guitar, bass, sometimes. Not too much used in fiddle. And dobro is, you know, I kind of put dobro like banjo. You know, there's dobro tab, there's dobro standard notation, but it, think of tablature as a graphical way to describe the motions of your body. You know, where do you put your finger? What do you do? What do you pick? Which string? Do I play the first string, then the third string, then the fourth string? You know, tab describes this and it is perfectly valid. And every student who came to me and who will come to me in the future is going to learn a little something about tablature. Because there's so much music inscribed on paper or in ebooks, in my case, in tablature. So it behooves you to know how to read it and decode it. I don't think you should be tied to it like a ball and chain, like... You must have your tab in front of you if you're going to play, you know, Lonesome Road Blues. you got to be looking at the tab. Well, you might be. If you still have to be looking at the tab, it means you haven't learned it well enough and you need to practice more. Eventually, it becomes memorized. So it's tab is just a way to take somebody's idea of picking on any instrument and transmitting it into your brain so that you can do it. What a wonderful gift. Tablature is a wonderful gift. Some fool you've never met who might be dead, who lives possibly on a different continent, put these little scribbled all this junk down so that you could do the same thing he does because he thinks it's so much fun and you'd have fun doing it too. That's tablature. It's a, it's a description of how to physically handle the instrument and make music. Then you've got your standard notation, and standard notation is a little different because it doesn't describe how you play the note. It just describes what note to play. So it's sort of a description of the result we want. You know, in tablature, if I want to hear a C note on, let's, let's use the banjo, I might write second string, First fret, pick it with the index finger of the right hand. Boink. And it's a C. Over on standard notation, I'll just scribble in a little dot on the second space down from the top, and that's a C. And you figure out how to play that C. Where is that C on your instrument? Doesn't tell you. Standard notation has the advantage of sort of graphically illustrating the flow of the music. If you look at the, the dots, let's say you got a whole bunch of quarter notes or eighth notes or just music notation dots on the staff of standard music notation, you can see a low note because it's down low. And you can see a high note because it's up high. And you can see the notes flowing up and down and sometimes notes played together. You can sort of see their musical relation relationship on the page you can see high notes because they are high they're higher up on the staff so you know they're higher in pitch that's the beauty of standard notation you can see the melodic flow tablature you can learn to see the melodic flow because the numbers get bigger so Fret 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. You know, if you see 15, 17, 19, 18, 16, 14, that you know is higher than 1, 3, 6, 4, 2, land, down in those single digits. So there is a little bit of it, and the more you work with tab, the more you begin to get the flow. You can, you can actually hear, translate tablature into sounds in your mind 
just by looking at it with enough practice with it. But it is a little more easily accomplished with standard notation because you literally see the pitch flows, the ups and downs and the simultaneous notes and things like that are just graphically displayed for you. But the, the downside of standard notation is they don't give you any clues as to how do you play that note? Okay, I know you want a C, but do you know how many places you can get that C note on your mandolin? There's always multiple locations, in most cases, not, not always. You get low enough, there's only one choice. You get high enough, there's only one choice. But in the middle zone, like I'll use the mandolin for an example. If I look at a piece of standard notation and I see an A, and there it is. It's a black dot, could be an eighth note, quarter note, whole note, whatever. There's a dot on the second space up from the bottom of the five line staff. The first space is F, the next space is A, and I, I see that note and it's an A. So the composer is telling me, man, you'll have a great time if you play this note, followed by this note, and this note, and this note, and won't that be cool? And so you're trying to, the composer, possibly dead in the 1600s or something, is trying to tell you this cool little tune. And it says, play A. So you look down at your mandolin. Well, where is A? Well, okay, you got a couple of choices. Your second string is tuned to an A note. That's a logical choice. So when you see that dot, you play the A. Doing. But that's not the only place you could play an A. You could also play that exact same pitch as described in the standard notation on the seventh fret of the third string, which is tuned to a D. And if you come up to the seventh fret, you're up to an A. So you could do it seventh fret, third string, or open first string. So which one do you do? You don't know. And the notation doesn't tell you. Well, sometimes, like when I put out my stuff, I put it, or mandolin anyway, I put it in standard notation and tablature. And so you could always glance up at the tablature and go, oh, well, he wants the open second string for this, this A, you know. And sometimes I'll do both. Sometimes you play them both. How many times on your mandolin, if you're playing that eight potatoes kickoff, have you dung 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 on the seventh fret of the third string with the open second string. You're playing a whole bunch of A's. You got four wires all in motion playing your little eight potatoes. How do you write that in standard notation? They'll put two A notes right back to back, just like jam them up against each other. There's two A's and you're like, what? I'm supposed to play two A's at once. Well, that's what they mean. That's what they mean. So what I'm saying is for, from the, from a mechanical standpoint, tab has great advantages. It falls somewhat down in terms of like visual, like seeing the musical flow and the, the linearity of the melodic flow is not as apparent in tab. I give you that. Standard notation, the musical flow, the pitch, relative pitch. You know, how many people have stood in church going through the hymns, I got the book open, and we're going to do 227. Do, 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 do. And they start singing the hymns. And a lot of people don't really know what those notes are, but they know if that dot is higher on the hymn sheet, well, you go up, and you kind of match the people that are around you, and then, well, you see a low note, and you go down, you know? And so it's more visual, the, the melodic flow is more obvious with standard notation. But the physical mechanics of how to achieve that is not well displayed with standard notation. So I was thinking about, so which is best? Because you'll have people show up. I, I have people that have written me emails, and they're like, I got your mantle on excursion book, and it's all in tablature, and I don't read tablature. When are you going to put out a standard notation version of it? Well, probably never, but I'm like, why don't you just learn to read tab? You know, it's not that hard. It's very simple. And there are advantages to tab. 
or you get the opposite. I've had banjo players write me emails. In my banjo instruction course, it's all tablature, as is pretty much all banjo music written in tablature for the most part, unless you've got a 1955 Mel Bay How to Play the Banjo book, they'll be using standard notation. But in the bluegrass world, banjo music is pretty much 100% written in tablature. So there's no point to even put the standard notation. Nobody's reading it. No banjo players are reading it. And that's not a fault of banjo players. It's just the preponderance of printed music for banjo is written in tablature. So that's what you learn to do, and that's what you get good at. Now, you could write all that stuff out in standard notation, like the original Earl Scruggs book. You had tab and standard notation. I challenge you, you will not find one out of a thousand purchasers of the Earl Scruggs banjo book who ever once read one note off of the standard notation line. They were looking at the tab because it was the most expedient way to get your fingers in the same place to play Randy Lynn Rag just like Earl. Anyway, there's pros and cons. Every student that ever came to me who had a little familiarity with standard notation, maybe they had been in band or they had played a little piano or something, they immediately want to just, oh, just show me the thing I'm familiar with. And I'd say, no, I think you need to learn tab. And then I would have the opposite. I would have somebody come along playing bass, for example, and they had figured it out and, you know, they were reading some tab. And I'm like, look, you might want to think about learning standard notation. Learn to read that bass clef. Let me show you this book over here. And I pull up this book of, it's like, written by a jazz dude, you know. And he's got all these cool bass lines. They're all written in standard notation. And I say, can you read that? And the person says, no. I said, well, take two weeks and learn to do it. It's not that hard. So there's pros and cons. And... I always try to encourage everyone, and I still do, to learn both systems. Don't just lock yourself into one way because you're limiting yourself. Think of, like, if you go by the Coles 1000 Fiddle Tunes book, the Mammoth Collection, or that John Hartford book I talked about, all the little fiddle tunes are all written there in standard notation, and you... Mr. Mandolin Player have only learned how to read tap. Come on, just invest a little time in trying to learn standard notation because there's so many tunes and so much music available to you. And the reverse is true, too. we I'll, I'll recount a little story. We went to Cedar Hill when I was in that band, probably was about like late 80s, were hired to come into a studio and play some tracks and do some music for a documentary that was going to be on PBS. And in particular, uh, the theme of this movie this guy was making was about the history and background of Talladega, Alabama. And I guess there was a lot of NASCAR content in the the movie we didn't you know we hadn't seen the movie we were just hey we're making a movie we need you know we got we want you to play some bluegrass stuff probably for the fast car scenes or something like that so cedar hill shows up at the studio four of us i'm pretty familiar with standard notation uh our banjo player is a little familiar with it because of singing in church and in choirs and things like that. Our bass player is was primarily a play-by-ear guy. He wasn't familiar with really either one. And our guitar player had a little knowledge of each. Maybe he'd had a few piano lessons like 30 years before as a kid. And uh, the producer walks in, all right, boys, and starts handing out sheet music. He's got a banjo part written out in standard notation. Here, here's what I want you to play. Gives me mandolin stuff, bass part, and hands us out this music. And you could have heard a pin drop, the fear you could have cut with a knife. Because what the guy had in mind was basically your basic bluegrass thing chugging along. You know, kind of like a train 45 going 140. That's what he had in mind, but he had gone to the trouble to write this out. So you got this producer, composer, 
writing out a banjo part, and he doesn't play banjo. Now, today, they would just do it with synthesizers. Jackson would go upstairs with his computer and make that banjo part. They wouldn't even call the actual musicians in to do it. But back in the day, you know, they would call you in. And uh, so the Ducks over there trying to decipher this standard notation version of basically Scruggs-style banjo. But it's, of course... Every pattern and roll and everything is like backwards and upside down and not the way we would normally do it. And like, what in the world? And I'm trying to sort out the melody. And I maybe we did have a fiddle player then. And, you know, I'm just trying to like, okay, pop. That, see all that junk? That's a G chord. Just play G. Play G rhythm, you know. Just do your bluegrass Tony Rice thing, you know. And Fred, just play G. Boom, 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 boom. And Duck, from the way I'm looking at this thing, you basically could play train 45 and we'll just follow their chord progression. It looks like it's going from a G to a B flat and then to a C and then back to G. Look, from my quick glance at this, I mean, let's not waste too much time trying to read these actual notes. Let's just play. I think this is what probably he's after here. So, all right, take one. We, we kick it off. One, two, three, four. And we play this thing. Ain't nobody looking at the music. We played it, and he goes, that's great. That is exactly, you know, the producer's in our headphones. He's like, that's, that's exactly what I, man, that's great. Let's go to, all right, let's go to the next tune. And, you know, we start shuffling papers again. The guy had in his mind your basic bluegrass stuff, you know. And so I just told everybody, just, just pick. That guy ain't going to know whether you play a B or a B flat. He ain't going to know. He, you know, I give him a lot of credit. He has tried to score a bluegrass band in standard notation, but, but it took somebody and, and a little bit of a group effort to look at that music and go, oh, this is Foggy Mountain Breakdown. Okay, okay, okay. Just play rolls, Duck. Just play fast rolls. That's what he's after. You know, don't worry about the notes. So you get what I'm saying. Now, now one of, before I leave this topic of tab versus standard notation, I will just give you my philosophy. If you know one, learn the other. If you don't know either, learn one and then learn the other. Get at least familiar with it because it's just one more way for someone else's great musical creation to end up in your head so that you can play it. You know, think about is there anyone alive who ever heard Beethoven? Now, I'm not talking about you heard the symphony in Columbus play Beethoven's Ninth or something. You didn't hear Beethoven. In fact, even Beethoven didn't hear Beethoven in his later years. But there's another way to learn. You can learn from a book, and in that book can be tablature or standard notation. You could also learn just by listening. And Beethoven wasn't doing a lot of listening. He was imagining, you know, because he was seriously hearing impaired uh, in his later years. So I'm not saying learning by ear is for everyone. You have to have working ears. But that is a supremely important way to learn to, like, if... I've had students before that I'm going through the tab and teach them how to play banjo. And they're just not, oh man, they sound bad. And I'd say, listen to this and put on Earl Scruggs record. And they're blown away. I'm like, that's what we're trying to do here. Haven't you ever heard of Earl Scruggs? You never, you never heard of bluegrass. And I remember my, my, kindly old student who said is, is that like bluegrass is that like leanne rhymes i'm like uh no no it's not <laughs> but anyway sent him home with the uh i don't know foggy mountain banjo record like listen to this all week he came back he became a little better but you have to hear things too records cds radio your ears are very important, so don't neglect that. If you got your head buried in tablature all the time, or you're going to learn the uh, Bach or whatever, you know, the, and you got your nose buried in a 
sheaf of sheet music all the time, why don't you try closing your eyes and listening to some music and trying to capture it through your ears rather than just your eyes? I'm not saying it's better. I'm saying it's different. You need to do all of them. You need to know how to read tab or at least be familiar with decoding it. You need to know how to read a little standard notation or at least be familiar enough to decode it. And you need to do some listening. Some people learn to play solely by listening. They hear something, they go home, they figure it out, and they try to make that same sound. That's very important too. But it's not the only thing. So think of learning by ear as also very important. Last one is visually, because when I was coming up, you could put the record on. You could put the original Newgrass Revival record on and listen to it. Didn't have any tab, didn't have any standard notation. You know, maybe you'd find something in one of them, David Grisman, those little five and a half by eight and a half folded little booklets that he was selling like 10 tunes and nine keys and those little classic mandolin instruction books. I got them all. And the mandolin uh, world news and stuff like that. And there was, there was picking magazine that might have a little tab or notation in it. And, you know, or there was books, but so you're listening to this record and you either get it by listening or you don't. And you have to practice that. I think I talked one time in an episode about, you know, weeks, if not months of continuous listening and stopping the record and trying to learn to play Lonesome Fiddle Blues on the mandolin, especially the up the neck break that Sam Bush played on that record. Stop the record, back it up, do it again, wore that record out. I mean, messed it up by constantly lifting the needle and putting it back ways and trying it again, figuring it out myself. Had I had tablature, it would have been easier. Had I had standard notation, it would have been easier. Neither one of them would have completely solved the whole puzzle, but if I'd never heard the record at all and never listened to it for hours on end, I would have never played it the way I wanted to play it because a piece of printed music is not going to carry the kind of impact that the sound does. But imagine if I also could have seen Sam Bush play that tune, exactly those notes, which now is so easy. Videos, sitting in person watching someone play, Private lessons where the teacher is. You watch the teacher and the teacher watches you. Visual is important too. Because, well, did he use his second finger or his third finger? Oh, well, he used his pinky. Huh, because I see him using his pinky. Wow, that's pretty cool. Did he just do a backward slide downwards? Well, because you see it and you hear it. Where, you know, in tab and standard, you don't see anything. You have to imagine it. What I'm saying is, to become the best possible musician, you need to use all four of those, or at least explore them. Tablature, standard notation, just by ear. Next tune you try to learn, don't use any tab. Don't go on YouTube and watch somebody play it. Just get the recording and put it on and try to figure out what they're doing. You will gain from that. You will also gain by getting a book of fiddle tunes and cracking it open to any tune and saying, all right, let's see if I can play number 113 here. Miss McGillicuddy's reel. Let's try that. What is that first note? Oh, crap. Okay. Go look at your chart. F-A-C-E and every good boy does fine. Oh, yeah, that's an F sharp. Boink. Got one down. You know, like 64 to go. Do that. Use all these methods, tab, standard notation, by ear, and visual with ear. I mean, think about Doc Watson. Doc Watson, he couldn't see you play, but he could hear you play. And if you can only hear and you can't see, you can just throw out the tab, throw out the standard notation, throw out the YouTube videos and all that. You have to do it all by ear. And he's an exemplary guitar player.
who learn entirely by ear. So you could say, well, that's what I'm going to do then. But you're not him, you see. So what worked for him might not work for you because you've got a set of eyes. So maybe you should use them. I'll bet you, by God, if Doc had a set of eyes, he would have used them too. He did have a set of eyes. It just didn't function quite like the rest of us. But uh, <laughs> my friend uh, Bob Pearl went up to see Doc one time, and this is back in the, in the 80s, and he arrived at his house, and Doc was on the roof fixing the roof like replacing some jingles. So amazing guy, amazing guy. And the last one I would like to recommend, in addition to tab, standard notation, learning solely by ear, close your eyes, blindfold yourself, or visual, like go see Grisman play, you know, you will learn things that you're not going to get out of a book, like how to, how to look, how to look really cool and you know, I had a like mug for the camera. I, there was an old, uh, he was on uh, way back when, like probably about 1980, there used to be a show, real late night show, like come on about midnight called Fridays. And the David Grisman Quintet or Quartet, or whatever, probably about 1980, 81, thereabouts. I don't know. Don't quote me on the year. Uh, they were on there. And it was late, and I happened to capture it on videotape, cassette. I got my VCR, and I saw this. I heard it announced, and then I started rolling the tape. It was this weird late-night talk show thing called Fridays. And there's the Grisman, you know, there's Grisman. And he was mugging for the camera. I mean, he was, every time I guess he saw a red light, he was smart enough to look toward the red light and kind of make some goofy faces and just playing the snot out of that mandolin, you know. I don't know what they were playing, like EMD or 1616 or something. It was smoking hot. <laughs> but you're not going to learn how to mug for the camera unless you do it visually too. The last thing, this is the fifth way to learn, and that's just what I call self-exploration, where you're not actually trying to learn something that somebody else is doing, but you're just trying to figure out some stuff all by yourself, you know, sitting around picking. You're not trying to play any particular thing. You're not trying to read some tab. You're not trying to read some standard notation. You're not trying to listen very closely to how Earl did that up the neck break. You're not watching videos. You're just seeing what's inside you, what's coming bubbling up from inside your own creative stew pot. That only gets better with practice, too. And that's sitting around picking. That happens at jam sessions. And that happens when you're performing. You may have a very well thought out uh, production of a show, of a set, a set list, and arrangements of tunes. And then here comes your break, and you take off on that dobro or whatever, and something new just bubbles up from inside you. You need to do that kind of stuff, too. Those are the ways you can become a better musician. And I think that the, the mixture of these things, not don't just pick one and do it to the exclusion of all others. I can assure you, if someone learned to play the banjo from tablature and became very good at it, but had never heard bluegrass music or bluegrass banjo playing, they're not going to sound the same. Or they've never seen it. You, know, you get what I'm saying? You got to do a little bit of all this stuff. And if all they do is play tab, they're always going to sound like someone else or somebody imitating someone else. Maybe they need to do a little just plunking around on the porch and come up with a new lick. You know what I'm saying? Know what I mean, Vern? Okay. I think when I go into the know what I mean, Vern stuff, it's time to pull the plug. I'm so excited. I can't wait till tonight. You know, if only one person comes over, I'm going to pull up those jam tracks that I released last week. And, hey, I appreciate uh, the, the couple of people who bought the the Volume 2 Jam Tracks collection. That I, and I'm, I'm halfway through Volume 3, too. So, last warning, if you've got a tune you want to see in Volume 3, send me an email, brad at bradleylaird.com, and tell me. What tune, what key, what do you, what do you want in Volume 3? Because probably after Volume 3, I'm going to get tired of doing this stuff. But I'm halfway through Volume 3 already. So uh, 
let me know what you want. And uh, as I've said, you know, since we're not picking as much as we normally do in terms of gigs and jam sessions and stuff, picking with tracks is a good way to keep your chops up. So scope about, and I will put a link again to that new volume two set in today's show notes. That's it. I can't think of nothing else to do except go out and keep cleaning up for tonight. And I'm going to go to the store. And I thought, well, and I asked my wife, I said, would it be tacky? Because, you know, when the guys come over, I like to, you know, have a six pack in the fridge, you know, because, you know, how many bluegrass pickers like to sip on a beer while they pick and stuff. And that's very common. I certainly enjoy doing that. I thought, I asked my wife, I said, would it be tacky if I packed the little fridge with Corona? She said, yeah, that would be tacky. So I'm definitely going to do it. Anyway, y'all have a good week. Talk to you in the next episode. Chill and pick. Talk to y'all later.